Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I know you've got news for us. I do. So I've joined a, I've joined another band. Um, I, I've, uh, I'm so excited I'm part for of a, you. Yes, you should be. So I call it Yacht Rock, but um, there are other people that call it boring. I but, um, wouldn't call it boring, but no, my, my turds are afraid to come out. Well, so. I'm looking, we're, we're looking at, um, so the stuff that we'll be doing, I shouldn't say we're looking at, they already had these songs in line. And so I went in, we're doing stuff like, you know, the simple two chord vamp disco stuff, you know, boogie, oogie, oogie, and that type of thing. But we're also looking at Parliament, you know, we've got the funk and uh, that type of thing. Tower of Power. Um, <laughs> well, you know what Frank Zappa said about the Tower of Power? What's that? It took about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple of orchestration stuff, because we're looking at doing the um, the disco version of Beethoven's Fifth. And there was another one. Um, but I mean, you got to do boogie shoes. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Kind of so you do a lot of disco yeah. tunes. Yeah, I have this book that I got for you. I'm gonna, oh, have, I'm, so I'm, I'm gonna have, to, I'm just gonna have to show it to you. I don't think I have to mail it to you or anything. Once you see it, you'll understand. Um, this is for how you deal with any future bandmates or like conflicts you might have. It's called tantrums, and it's <laughs> and it's how you deal with people who <laughs> have tantrums. Oh yeah, my last uh, drum. I couldn't help. I couldn't help myself. You know, you know what we called his last blow up? So I went out to uh, the guys did their first duet thing. They decided not to do the trio thing. And um, so it's funny because um, we were talking about that. And we said, yeah, when he had his Axl Rose moment. So I'm just like, you know, <laughs> we called it the Axl Rose moment. What's well, so funny because it's like, you know, everybody, everybody, I was trying to think like, everybody knows that these big bands have meltdowns, right? And it's he's the one that everybody brings up, but it's like I think he was all business. I don't think because he like yeah. firing people and everything else, right? I I can't really picture him having like a tantrum per se. And of course, no, Metallica me said they would they they would just stomp his ass. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole thing. I don't know. You know, Metallica that has that. There are some tantrums on record for rep. Yeah, I would go watch say, some kind of monster. You wanted, yeah, you want to watch a guy that has tantrums. Headfield <laughs> and you know, fight me on this, but I think that you know, Jason Newstead was the one bassist that got a bad rap. So, did you see the? Um, speaking of Metallica, let's go right to our guitar stuff. Did you see the thing I posted in the group? Um, it was a terrible cover. Metallica. Yeah, well, half of Metallica. I saw it about a week before you posted it, and yeah. I. You remember that last episode, my rant at the end, where I yep. talked about not wanting to uh, propagate bullshit? <laughs> so yeah. I didn't share it in the group, but that is probably the most abysmal thing I've ever seen. It was horrendous. I uh, I, I cried, dude. Sure. I, I, and it, I, it, was, it was tears of sorrow that somebody would fucking yeah. ruin Prince that way. Oh, it was terrible. I, I could give a shit. You, could, you can keep Prince or take Prince. In my book, it's all right, but it, it, I... I I never really and Jim plays Prince disco with. tunes all night. <laughs> yeah. And I might wind up playing some Prince and finding a new, um, that's what I'm saying. Like it. you will, you will at some point play some Prince and you'll be like, Oh, now yeah. I get it. 
Yeah. But um, honestly, uh, regardless of how I thought of Prince, that was one of the worst cover tunes I have ever seen in my life. Proof that some bands that do fantastic originals, because you've you've heard their covers. It's it's They're terrible. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not even just that the bands do fantastic originals. It's just that they don't know, like they don't they they've got an ego to this point where it's like we can do no wrong. And even mm-hmm. though they had to have known, I mean, some if you're if you're Kirk Hammett and you've done all the study with like Joe Satriani or whoever, you yep. know music. Whether you like to admit right. it or not, and you That's knew right. that was going to be a shit fest. That was like a shit nobody show. was ever going to like that. No, that, that was, was that was totally ego stroking and like yep. we could do no wrong kind of crap. That's sycophantism. Yep. And and if I was you know if I was Prince's um, estate, I'd be calling up those guys and demanding an apology. Where, where's my fucking royalties? Listen, you guys sucked. You need to apologize. Because either they weren't trying hard, either they were trying hard and they sucked, and they needed to come out and admit I it. I think they were or, trying to put their own spin on it, and I think they don't, like, that's not something you could do with that that style of music. No, no it, doesn't, it doesn't translate to metal. You know, he's one of the few guys, like, let's talk about that for a minute, because he's one of the few musician artists, whatever you want to call him, the artist formerly known as, whatever, where yeah. the music that he makes is, it's... It is definitely genre specific, but it is so specific that I can't imagine remaking his tunes in any other genre. Like you're not going to hear somebody do a country version of this is what it's like when doves cry or or something like that. You know what I mean? Like maybe Purple Rain, I could see maybe crossing genres, but a lot of his music, not really like I would die for you. It's got to be kind of that new Jack swing thing that that, you have his own take on that. Um, which was completely unique to anybody else doing that kind of music at the time, uh, including the time um, who right. he wrote the songs for. So right. um, that's, that's, that's another thing you can tell a Prince tune when somebody else has, it has like received a song that he wrote for them because it sounds like a Prince song. Even if they're singing it, it doesn't matter who it yeah. is. You know, immediately that's the print. That's Prince. Like, like manic Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Example. Yeah. And when, um, he had a crush. I didn't know he had a crush on uh, uh, what's your face, um, Susan Hoffs. So he had a he had a thing for Susanna Hoffs. She did not have a thing for him, which is weird. Because you know, I have a theory about that, and this is going to make me sound awful. But we yeah. it was kind of a joke. Like my dad and I were watching uh, a Raven to the Year two thousand or whatever the live DVD that Prince did um, for his Millennium show, and the. My dad was watching it. And he goes, I totally understand Prince now. He's every woman's fantasy because he's a woman. He's basically yeah. a man pretending to be a woman. Like, yeah, it's it's like this whole to be a woman pretending to be a man. Because yeah. he, he was basically tapping into the whole like. Fantastic element of being able to relate to, you know, it's a it's a, it's a yep. whole thing, being able to relate to the person that you're also, you know, physically attracted to or whatever. But yeah, the, I agree. But the fact is, he's like what, like five foot nothing. He wasn't even five foot. He's like yeah, four foot nine. Well, and you like, saw him next to Zoe Deschanel. He he showed up on uh, what the heck was her TV show there? Um, Zoe Deschanel. Um, anyway, he showed up on there, and yeah, he wasn't much taller than her, and she is five foot nothing. So yeah. Hang on, I got, 
I got a personal situation I'm dealing with too during the middle of the show. So if you hear some beeping, I apologize, but it is, but it is actually important. So, yeah. um, so yeah, uh, we didn't do our housekeeping this episode. Yeah, um, so hit it. I'm going to hit it now. Are you a regular hey. listener? Why not? Subscribe to Practical Guitars using your chosen podcast app and take the time to put in a review at a service where you found our podcast, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play. Get involved. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist. You can also find us on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. If you're interested in supporting the show, we've launched a Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And if you'd like to donate money to the show, there's always Patreon. Our Patreon is available at patreon.com slash practical guitarist. Hoping to have some uh, exclusive content up there soon. And if you'd like to reach yep. out to us directly, you can always do so at questions at practical guitarist.com. A couple of things. Uh, this is not part of the, the normal housekeeping. I just want to give a shout out to all the guys in the group. Tell them you guys are all doing a wonderful job and you guys give us a really positive community. If you're listening to the oh, show yeah. and you're not a member of the group and you have a Facebook account, I highly recommend it. It's very active and engaged. And we all have a good laugh in there occasionally. So, yeah, yeah, we don't take ourselves too uh, seriously. No, none of us do really. I mean, if you if you've seen a picture of me, you know why I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same here. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, um, so no new gear this week. No new gear last week. I don't think I had gear, new gear the week before. I've been ge- no gearless for a little while. I got um, um I got uh I got some furniture. Guitar yeah. furniture. Oh, really? Yeah, I got a, I got a stool. Yep, guitar stool to play, you know, to play guitar on. Yep. Um, you want me to go into detail? Because I could say more. Yeah. All right. So, I ordered a stool. If if you've never, so if you play like an hour or two or whatever a week and you don't really notice it, um, having a stool is way better for for playing guitar because of the the way that it positions the guitar. And of course, if you have the right rung height, like your, your leg gets to almost 90 degrees, it keeps the guitar from shifting against your body. If you, if you play on a leg, um, I tend to play more classical style or like you would when you stand up where the guitar is swung yep. in front of me. Um, yep. when I got my stool, I was hoping to be able to play it on my leg and I, and this is going to sound really stupid, but here's the reason why. Um, I hate when I pick up a guitar and it's got a strap on it and I have to look for the strap. It's just like, here's another, oh. another 10 to 15 seconds of me going, yep. fuck, like, why Where can't I just pick, I why can't I thing? just pick it up and play it? So, um, I get this one thinking, oh yeah, I, I bought the, uh, the, the nice rock and sock. Cause I got a little bit of extra money running around right now. Cause I'm not buying any other gear. Um, yep. and I bought the nice rock and sock tower, which is supposed to be a drum throne. Believe me, oh. I've never met a guy that can sit on a 29 inch bar stool and play the drums. But but nevertheless, it's supposed to be a drum throw. And um, really, yeah, geez, I'm crow. That's awfully that that would be a really tall person and a really tall set of drums. Twenty nine inches, man. Like it's easy. It's tall. So I, I get this thing and um, I take it out of the box, which, by the way, they don't ship it. And like you have to put it together. It's shipped assembled. So it comes out of this giant box, which I had to somehow haul home from work in the back of my car, which was full. Um and I I set it up and I and I start watching a movie and I get my guitar and like start practicing and I realize the top rung is too high for me to get my na- my leg at ninety degrees. But oh. <laughs> once I realized how easy it was to transition from sitting like normally on it to standing and no. having the guitar in the exact same position as I would be if I were standing and playing, 
I was like, no, this is better anyway, because uh, it puts the guitar in a more natural position for what I would be doing for performing. And um, also, I'm a bigger guy. It's hard for me to stand for like two hours when I'm rehearsing or whatever, practicing at the house. So it's Mm -hmm. nice to have a stool to be able to just rest on like every three songs, like I'll sit down for one or something. Um, Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, it's cool. It's a cool seat. Um, highly recommend the rock and sock products. If you guys have never used them, I've been able to sit on it for a three hour, three hour movie without any pain whatsoever in my back. Um, and it promotes uh, proper posture as well. So I don't even feel like I'm slouching or anything. It makes me sit up straight and all that good stuff. The more you do it, the, uh, the easier it becomes to sit for longer periods of time too. But, um, yeah, highly, highly recommend as a good purchase. And I'm, I'm glad I bought it. Um, I got it from Sweetwater, so if you guys are interested, I can throw that up in the group so you guys can see the product. Because uh, I don't know that it necessarily shows up in a search for guitar stool. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, so I have a guitar stool that I just kind of lucked into when I was um, was in a guitar center probably about 15 years ago. Um, It was on sale. Uh, Guitar center just moved into the Albany area. I think it was 2001, 2002 maybe. I was like, wow, uh, that's pretty cool. I bought it. I didn't think about, you know, height, but I lucked out because it was just right where I could sit on it and stand. I don't tend to sit and play. I just can't sit and play. So when I'm playing, I stand. But if I've got a break between songs or whatever, I don't mind sitting. Oh, I'm not taking it for a live gig. This is for home use only. (laughs) That's what I mean. You can't keep me sitting. You couldn't get me to sit down at a live gig. Like, it's just not going to happen. But even like I, today when I was doing the, the audition and then the um, rehearsal, I I sat only between tunes and I stood up during, you know, during every song. It is funny. So like I have um I have a problem. It's a it's a it's a pinched nerve. I know what I know what it is. I've never had it dealt with. I could probably go to a chiropractor and get it adjusted. And I get um one of my legs actually goes kind of numb and occasionally I get like a burning sensation in it. Uh, it's yep. in the, the upper thigh portion. And I never get that when I'm playing out because your body just like says, nope, you got too much adrenaline. This ain't going to happen right now. <laughs> so you stand there for two hours, you know, as long as you're playing, oh, yeah. you're like, you know, just don't, don't, uh, don't deviate. And you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> playing live, natural painkiller. Yeah. You know, you're all talking about medical marijuana. The hell with medical marijuana. I got medical music. Anyway. That was I, really lame. I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. That's right. <laughs> so how many people, um, uh, how many people have you unfriended this week on Facebook? Why is that? God, <laughs> I, I did. A, um, I unfriended some people. I, had I mean, to, there's like, a couple I want to right now. Yeah. Uh, I've been into it with one person several times. Uh, <laughs> over, over ridiculous stuff. Um, yeah. and it's just, I think I'm just getting irritated. I got some personal stuff going on. that's um, coming to a head and there's some other things going on. So I think I'm just, just amped up a little bit. So I'm trying not to delete people off my friends list if I can avoid it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I went through and I did the old, uh, has this person, you know, Said interacted with you me in like the last two years in the last, yeah. X years. Even even family members gone. If they're not reacting, I I just don't care. I, I right, just so guitar wise, make sure I want to keep the podcast. So, uh, one of the things that I 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> I want to, and of course you. Um, oh yeah, fuck everybody that. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> everybody that's musical, I just I keep them on there. Anyway. Yeah, I don't care. Like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> but I'll tell you some so, so some sneaky stuff has been happening. You saw that one I sent you. Oh uh, yeah, I certainly won't. What was that? I know it was like Facebook goes. You might like this person. No, actually, that person sent me a, a friend request. I did not accept it, obviously. But it was like, what? I mean, yeah. This, and and you get like the craziest, creepiest stuff because you're in you're in a naval town, right? So it's like, I I don't know. It's like that that uh, that scene in Full Metal Jacket with the hooker. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, that exactly. bad. Jim's getting random Facebook messages akin to that scene from that movie. If you don't know that scene, you should go check yeah. it out because yeah, there's uh, a world famous line that I will not repeat here that you should know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to say it here, but it, it's one of those things where I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, you know, we'll we'll come back to Facebook because I think that's important. Um, matter of fact, you know, why don't we talk about it now? Um, so for Facebook. Um, what do you use Facebook for? I you know, most people use it for like. You know, they're keeping up with friends and family and stuff. Social media, I use it for business. Social media is so important for business, and yep. it is doubly important for music. And I don't think this—I don't think this is a planned topic, but I think it's really important that we have this conversation while it's here. Um, we've been using social media to promote the podcast, and actually, um, because my last band predates social media, which now I'm dating uh-huh. myself. My last like successful band. Um, we didn't have this as a tool at our disposal. So had we had social media to keep in touch with everybody, I think we had yeah. MySpace at the very end. Um, it would have been, it would have been a, a very valuable tool. And even now I see myself, I'm promoting my, my personal music through social media more than anything else, because social media is the easiest way to indebt people. <laughs> and I know it sounds terrible, but like, if you're a friend of a friend and you see this guy's music and you're like, oh, yeah, I know him. I met him at a party or whatever. You're yep. more obligated to listen to that music than just right. some random ass person that you found on Bandcamp or whatever. You know? Exactly. Matter of fact, I don't even go to these things, these band camps or what is the other one? Band. Yeah, um, they're just there for, to, to host your music anyway. I mean, th- that's the only reason why any of those services are popular. Um, I actually I, I use SoundCloud. But I'm getting away from that now, too, because I can use DistroKid. For 20 bucks yeah. a year, I can post my music on iTunes. I mean, Yeah, you can post it everywhere. Well, yeah. Why not? Uh, then Anybody who has Apple Music, I can say, just go download my song on Apple Music. It's fine. Yeah. You know, um, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. Um, that also means that I have to put together album art for singles and all that stuff. But it's not, it's not horrendous. Uh, in fact, I have oh. a song out there right now. It's not one of my proudest songs, but if there's anybody listening... You can look up David Hill on Apple Music, and you will find my song called "Undisclosed." So, really? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have uh, one song out. There. I have nothing out there. I. <laughs> oh, but Black Death Doctors, my my uh, artist collaborative project, is out there too. So, um, we have one song called "Odd for You" that's out there. Oh really? Yep. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> Go download it so or go go stream it so you can actually give me some money or or yeah, just there you go. or just join our Patreon. Uh, that works too. Um, I I would not. So I'm not a streamer. I'm like you're, you know, you were talking about. 
um, before about the um, streaming things. I don't consider streams purchases, right. um, but because but you're not paying money for it. Yeah, well, it's not a purchase, but I mean, if you okay, so if you stream a piece of music, I get a royalty. It's not much. It's like a third of a cent or something. But you know, it's hey, if you're just gonna you're play that it, much, if you're gonna, yeah, it's like a third of a cent. If you're play, if you're playing it, then fine. Like I don't care if you give me a penny. Well, I give it. I get it. Okay, so I, I just don't it. want to see it get counted as this is an album sale. It's not the right. same thing at all. It's not. Uh, all right. So most people, I, I don't know. I'm not one of these people, but most people turn on the radio and they just listen to radio. Whatever sure, comes sure, on, comes sure, on. sure, sure. And that does pay the original artist actually more than a stream. Uh, quite a bit more, in fact. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where uh, you have to have wide channel distribution in order for that to work. So I think streaming is the alternative for the independent artist. Yeah. Granted, it's still the big major artists that are still making all the money. Um, yes. You know, go look at the roster over at Tidal. You know, that's basically the people who are who are streaming for cash. Um, right. I. It, even though, I mean, you you look at some of these artists now, and they'll tell you, like, I my music's available for streaming just because we're going to make money on it live, and that's the only intention we have. Right. Um, Radiohead, hell, when they, I think it was in the, in the mid-2000s when they finally said, nah, we're just going to release this album for free through our website. Fuck it. Didn't they say, pay whatever you want? That, that, I think nothing. they did a record like that, too, where they yeah, were like, they just did pay whatever you want. Pay whatever you want. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure nobody paid shit. And I'm yep. sure they were aware that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't. So I. It's funny because it's this model that we're that we're entering into, and I think it is a mostly a social media driven model, is essentially the same as what we had in the Middle Ages, where if you were well in Middle Ages and Renaissance, if you were Bach, and yep. you were a composer, you work for the church, most yep. likely. And that was paying you, you know, your, your living wage. Uh, and if you needed extra money, you were doing requiems for, you know, rich people who are paying you as a patron to take care of them, their, their musical right. need for some event. Yep. And um, some of the best music came out of those kinds of situations. But the reason why that's so interesting is because we're going back to a patronage system. Patreon was developed by somebody involved in the musician community. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's a friend right. of uh, Jude Gold's, I believe. Um, oh, really? Cooked up Patreon. Um, well, it, it's, yeah, it harkens back to the days when patronage um, was how writers, um, playwrights, uh, musicians, people of the arts, artists, obviously, um, would, painters, so on and so forth, would get that's how they lived. Mm -hmm. They couldn't make a living selling their stuff. I think right their wares. We're right now we're in this weird, like middle ground between patronage and the old system. And what? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about how there was like basically three major labels left. It was Stephen Conrady. Um, mm -hmm. There was like three major labels left. And we were talking about how like eventually those are going to collapse. And, and it's not even going to be that long. They weren't hedging right. their bets in the 90s or in the late 90s, early 2000s to try and prevent what's happening right now from happening. So we figure the three major labels will probably consolidate down to one. They'll buy each other 
And then what will end up happening is that it will be them versus, you know, streaming services. And we're, we're almost already there. But at that point, it almost becomes a free for all for who's going to get promoted because, I mean, honestly, there's no one to sit there and pay the pay the clear channel fees to get their music on the radio, which is right. legal payola. Um, yep. And so, you know, it's like the radio dies at that point because, well, you, you're going to promote the, you know, the six artists that are signed to X label that's left. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, so I think we're, we're headed towards a way more independent music thing than we ever have been. And also, uh, I think we've talked about EDM and stuff and, um, probably covered this in the previous episode, but I think we're on the verge of EDM dying and actual music coming back. I think we're right on the cusp of this happening and you're starting to see like this, this kind of windfall change. And, and I'm going to, I would point out the, uh, the, the pop guy. Um, who's the dude, the, the British guy that, that, uh, ripped off, um, Marvin Gaye's tune. Um, Oh yeah. The, um, Ed Sheeran. Okay. So Ed Sheeran actually plays an instrument, right? right. Which is totally counterintuitive to the other pop people we've seen in the last decade. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we can argue like Lady Gaga plays piano, but that's not like her main shtick. Like, you're not going to see Ed Sheeran on stage without a guitar. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think we're about, he's like the start of the pop side of it. But I think we're also yep. seeing bands like Greta Van Fleet. And yep. and I got, I got just ripped a new one in a group the other day because I said Greta, Greta Van Fleet. The reason we're talking about them is because they're they're hitting it right now and right. Apple's promoting them. They were on the front page of iTunes the other day. I'm like, what the hell? I, I hadn't even heard of these guys until um like right before we talked about them on the podcast the first time. And now I, they're everywhere. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's yeah. just nuts. I haven't seen a band do that in a long time. Um, So right. for, for that to be the case, I'm beginning to wonder if like, we're not about to have some big resurgency or at least that the, the final three major labels are starting to realize, like we have to give these people something authentic because we, we can't compete with independent labels who are doing that. For the for the diehards, so right. I don't know. Um, that's my two cents. I think we're about to see not the death of EDM, but it's going to morph. It's going to change, and I think we're going to see a lot more like real instruments and real, um, like real timing. You're not going to have metronomes and clicks on everything, and it's right. going to be a real weird world because I think a lot of musicians today. Yes, there are still great musicians. There's your Pete Thorns and people like that that are still out there that could just you know walk into a studio yep. and record gold. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of people who, um, grew up bedroom playing, thinking that they're going to be able to do that stuff that are going to have to learn really quickly, like how to play with a band again or with a band period, if they never learned it, because it's just a whole, it's going to be a whole other world. I mean, let's face it. A metronome is not a drummer. (laughs) Right. So, right. Well, so there's a, um, so I was I was a teen when disco became something that all of a sudden everybody was burning the records yeah, around 1988 yeah. one. You know, Kiss um, versus Disco, all that stuff, right? Yep. <clears throat> and there was this, you know, uh this whole backlash. And so people went from uh, it was a similar type of thing, and I can see happening again, where um music is going to have to rebound. Yeah, so and that's weird because 
so like bands like Twisted Sister and stuff like that, they 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 did this whole like disco sucks, we're gonna kill disco kind of thing, and they were they were straight up burning effigies of people and stuff on stage at Twisted Sister shows, um, right? And I don't think we have the hate of EDM coming out in this new generation of musicians. I think it's almost like yeah, that's cool too, but we can do it this way, and this has groove or what? It, like there's there's general reasons why you might want to approach it this way. And it's it's almost like an acknowledgement that yeah we could do both if we have to, and incorporate that. Actually, Dream Theater has been doing both for a really long time. And you listen to their records, and it's it's very much to a click. But every instrument on there is a real instrument. In most cases, occasionally they use a drum machine or whatever. But well, I, I, I remember <clears throat> I remember in the eighties um, that it might have been the early nineties. You couldn't go to a club without hearing mixes. Everything was a mix. And suddenly people were slowing down, speeding up songs to match them to a click so that they could make them mash and they could, they could play 12 songs in a row without having to speak to the audience and do anything. And this wasn't bands. This was DJs and DJs, you know, no offense to anybody who loves to be a good DJ. They're, they're great for weddings. A DJ is not live music. It's not live music. And I don't care what you say. Well, I'm such a great DJ and I could make these mixes and well, shut up. Look, you're just, you're just cutting pasting songs and, and there are their some tempos. people that can play, uh, play turntables like a drum set. That's different. That's different than that's not what we're talking about here. Right. That is so. very different. I'm not talking about <laughs> the folks that they didn't call them DJs. What did they call them when they had somebody like that in the band? Um, but anyway, um, the guys that could, you know, that's a different type. They know where to find the note and they're, they're doing things melodically and rhythmically. Yeah. That, that's a thing that I don't want to ever fucking have to learn how to do. Cause it's incredibly yeah. precise and difficult. And and people <laughs> who think that that's easy. Oh yeah. Go, go that, play around the guitar center with turntables for 10 minutes. You'll right. see how hard that actually is. Right. Well, they're not sitting there going, Oh, this, this one's at 120 BPM. This one's at 118 BPM. Let's make the 120, 118, and here's the one here. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, line it up. Drop that and one. I got, and I got one headphone on one song and one headphone yep. on the other, so I can, you know, so I can tell yep. when they're so lined I can up. Cue it. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, I don't need that. And you know what kills me is they have all this equipment that was developed like specifically with DJs in mind. The Chaos Pad, for example, was yep. built basically for DJs. The um, a lot of the modern drum machines. Um, basically anything past the Alesis one that everybody used in the eighties is, uh, the T I think it's a TR 80, something or whatever, your 800, well, whatever the black one with the blue labeling from Alesis, they still sell them. Um, right. When, when that thing, um, that thing is like the, the last professional drum machine you see everywhere. And now like the zoom units, they've got all got RCA yep. outputs cause it's got to plug into the DJ gear and yep. listen, I, I took um I took re- recording science when I was in college. I took uh, two years of it, and I don't recall ever seeing an RCA jack in the studio. Like we just didn't, and and if we had them, it was on like a CD deck or something, and we never used the RCA plugs, never. So <laughs> this is one of those things where if it has an RCA jack, chances are that's for DJs. It's exactly <laughs> follow plugs for DJs. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, so the old the old mixing boards had RCAs, but it was tape out. Yeah, 
Well, they still they do. do tape out. They still do. Right. That's what I'm saying. But they were always but, meant for consumer grade gear to plug in. That was exactly kind of the not deal. for right. Right. And so. it, it was so you could put your phone and you had the old phones, the little eighth inch jack, and you put them in RCA. So you had eighth inch to RCA or 0.35 millimeter, whatever it is. Three. If if you guys want to hear some music that um, plays around with the idea of like taking the urban like turntable approach with guitar, Vernon Reed did a couple of records and they're and they're kind of hard to find. You can probably get them on Amazon. Um, huh. So he did Mask, and I don't think Mask because that was like a project. I think that had turntables in it, but but he was really experimenting with that stuff, and and there's some good stuff out there. Uh, very yeah. innovative and interesting. I don't necessarily know that it would be like the music for everybody, but if you're into avant-garde stuff and you're like, hey, I wonder what that would sound like, go check those records out. Um, Bernard Reed has like a catalog of great musicians of every genre that he can collaborate with when needed. So, right. Anyway. Right. And again, you know, um, I think we're going to see not exactly, just like what I was getting to the point was, just like disco, it didn't actually die. I mean, a lot of people hated it. And But look what came from it, though. We got thrash metal from it. We got um, uh, Leonard Skinner from it. We got yeah, the, the reactionary to it was like right. the polarization aspect of it. And what it made those people do makes it worthwhile in a way. Um, I also right. still think that there are, you know, there are some redemptive disco songs. Um, yeah. and, and that's in retrospect, like looking back. Uh, even though the Bee Gees weren't technically disco and they didn't really fancy themselves that way. Nope. Bee Gees music is great. I mean, yeah. there's they, they were the Australian Beatles and they were better at it than the Beatles, in my opinion. So, yeah, um, yeah. we were we were talking about that tonight because we were talking about a couple of Bee Gees tunes to cover. And anybody that thinks that a Bee Gees tune is easy should try no, to play dude, a Bee Gees so, tune. What you got to understand <laughs> is these guys were like playing together at like eight years old yeah. in professional gigs. and. Yeah. When their first record, when their first record came out, they'd been together for like ten years at that point. Yeah, and, and so, they were teens. Yeah, they were teens, and, yeah. they were, and they had been together for ten years. That's so, how how young they were. And that was in the, like the what was the late sixties? I think their first record came out. Nineteen sixty four. So, yeah. So put that in perspective. They didn't yeah. have like the big smash, like amazing success until like nineteen eighty two when like Saturday Night Fever came out or whatever. Well, that was seventy seven. Was it seventy seven? I'm thinking of the second. Yeah, so one. I'm thinking of the second one. That awful movie. Oh yeah, that was awful. Was Staying like alive. They, yeah, stay alive. What were they even thinking? But, well, that uh, was Robert Stigwood and their horrible um, contract. They just wanted to get out of the Stigwood organization. He had uh, Eric Clapton too. Stigwood. Yeah. Um, if you watch, if you had any of the mid '70s um, uh, Eric Clapton stuff, he was on the RSO label. Um, but. Yeah. Yeah, the thing about them was because they had um, a, a awesome sense of harmony. The um, the way that Barry played because he was used to his father was a big band musician. Yeah, and so he was used to where chords really there were no rules. You had a lot of comping, right? And you had a lot of a lot of chord changes that were consistent. Yeah, and so he didn't he didn't know how to play a, or tune a guitar, so he just he thought you were just strummed. So he tuned to open D and went from there. Yeah. And so when you take a guy like that, you know what I mean? Um, well, and the talent in that band is not necessarily the musicianship. They were solid musicians, like they had good rhythm yes. and stuff, but the talent was in the vocals. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the songwriting. Their ability, yeah, and their ability to put together a song. Um, 
that's another thing. I hear a lot of people touting like, oh, these so and so is an excellent songwriting band. What determines that? Yep. Like to me, excellent songwriter is you have decent lyrics or you have good lyrics, but you have to have great composition regardless. This is music, people. Composition is important. It's more important than any other piece of a song. Uh, right. I, I know people act like, and and this is where you can send me your hate mail questions at practicalguitars.com. People yep. act like um, th- that the lyrics are more important than the music to the song. And I don't exactly. think, I don't think one can ever be more important than the other. I think they right. have to be balanced. So if you have shit music though, and yeah. you have crap lyrics, sometimes it, you can get away with it. Right. And, uh, I mean, we've seen that in the last 20 years. What the hell? That drowning pool song that was so big. Let the bodies hit the floor. Oh, I mean, there's like what? Like 10 lyrics in the whole song. And uh, that song went like multi-platinum. People were excited about that shit. Ace of Bass was it wasn't for me. That was an example of that. Ace of Bass. Yeah, their big hit. I I just couldn't understand how anybody liked that. And I was like, to bring but this, you take a song like Marcy's Playground, that was awesome. Sure. To bring yeah, this ahead. to bring this back home. So we're talking about social media and its impact on this. Like social media has become, I would say, the defining technology of probably the last 10 years. And yeah. in, in a sense, what I mean by that is okay, so we had a digital age that really began in the nineties and extended itself until the mid two thousands. So I would say we about like two thousand five. When when really when the first iPhone came out, which would have been right. in 2007 I want to say because uh, we've had 10 years of the iPhone in 2017 um, I would say that's like when everything changed and that's when social media took dominance and so the social media technology yes it's built on the digital age but the whole idea is like it's the, the first application that pretty much everybody that has access to the internet is involved in you, you right. could say you're not involved in it but if you've ever put a comment at the bottom of a news article or if you like that's social media right there in a nutshell. Um, right. If you've ever received even an email that says, Hey, this, uh, this article is something you might want to read, you know, like that's social media. That's the same thing. Um, and we are finally like reaping both the rewards and the awful things about social media. So you're talking about dropping people off your Facebook account. I mean, yeah, obviously we now see, we see people for what they are. It has yep. done some interesting things politically, uh, regardless yep. of what side of the aisle or what side of the political spectrum you hail from. Um, yep. I, I have seen, I've watched myself uh, in the last five to six years, I've watched people gradually move away from center positions to the far yep. rights and left to the point where they're like shooting each other, uh, you know, ver- right. verbally and insulting yep. each other to the point where it's like, dude, if you guys saw each other in person, you probably wouldn't even know what your political affiliation was. Like it just what it, 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 but because we bear our hearts on our sleeve here, you know, it's yep. now become this big thing. Um, I, I would say from the same token, it has created a musical culture that is also kind of doing some of these oppositional things as well as marrying things together. Um, you can definitely see how much more eclectic people's tastes in music are. That guy yeah. with the mohawk in the eighties, you thought he was all about like the hardcore punk thrash scene, you know? Um yeah. all of a sudden, like you realize, oh no, he likes Elton John too. Like <laughs> because we, we we it's there for the world to see. You can't you don't hide anything. Um good and bad. 
I mean, that's right. obvious. You can't have your guilty pleasure if it's, you know, out there in the public for everybody to see. Um, so social media, as far as a tool, I mean, I'm even seeing. So when I went to when I went to GearFest, they have all these um, seminars that they teach people various things like recording and um, how to promote yourself, etc. Um, one of the seminars was on social media and using social mm-hmm. media as a tool to promote yourself. Yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest uh, mistakes people make when they do in social media promoting is like, all right, so I have a lot and I and a lot, not bragging, a lot of professional musicians as Facebook friends. Yeah. Not friends. I don't know it, them personally. If you haven't Facebook tried friends. to friend some of these people, try it because it works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing I don't do, and that's why I don't get kicked out of their groups or their, you know, off their pages is. I don't fanboy and I don't throw them into groups, you know, like, you know, oh, well, I'll throw you into the practice. Yeah, we could sure, we could sure invite Jude Gold over to, you know. Yeah. Um, but why would I do that? Then he then doesn't want to be here. It. Like, and then he's going to tell people, yeah, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to friend that guy. Um, so your name, we think that the, that the musician community is huge and it's, it's actually not. a lot smaller. For, it's for the very pra- small for the practicing musician, it's a lot smaller. Right. There's right. a lot of for guys practice- just playing in their bedrooms, but yep. for the guys who are actually playing out live, like if you go, so this is a, yeah. this is an experiment you could try. You go to the three open mics in your week, and I bet you you will find that like the three open mics within like ten miles of your house or whatever, you'll find at least a third of the guys go to the other open mics. I can tell you this. So the band that I auditioned for and and uh, accepted the position for tonight. I auditioned for them a year ago. They asked me to join them a year ago. And I decided to go with the band I was in. Um, when I went back there tonight, they said, you've been here before, haven't you? I said, I said, oh yeah, I've been here before. I said, I didn't know I was in the same place till I went to the address. And uh, I said, I hope you don't hold that against me. He goes, let me just ask you this. If we like you, are you going to, are you going to be a part of it? I said, yeah. So there was a possibility that, I mean, obviously they didn't hold a grudge and I didn't burn a bridge, which is cool. But it's because I left, right. Because I left it, it, amicably. I just said, you know what? I, I tried out for a couple of bands. I went with this one, but um, I'm about to do the same thing. I'm about to tell another band. Hey, you know what? I'm, I made a decision. I'm sticking to it. Um, the big thing is that, you know, no matter what you do locally, you'd be surprised at how big that can start to reverberate out. Mm-hmm. And um, you really want to, when you're focusing on your Facebook page, my Facebook page, you don't find a bunch of political threads. You're not going to yeah. see, um, you're not going to see me, even though I do see professional musicians do it. I see them clashing with each other. Well, they're already up here. They're at the clash of the Titans. Yeah. I'm not up there yet. <clears throat> um, you know, so the, the thing that I do is, you know, I keep my political um, affiliations to myself. Um, and for those who want to know who I voted for, I didn't vote for anybody. I don't vote. So there, um, <laughs> it, my vote doesn't count. I don't care. Don't try to, um, don't think that you're going to try to convince me to do it. I just don't care. I'm not going to choose between a juice and a turd. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Um, so we always have two, we always have two choices and they're always a douche and a turd. Let somebody else decide which one that's going to be in place, douche or turd. Not for me. I, anyway, <laughs> um, so 
I don't put up political affiliation. I don't put up, even though I go to church on Sundays, I don't put up my religious affiliations. I don't. Um, uh, so in other words, what I post most of the time is either, you know, my daughter, unfortunately, <laughs> tags me and stuff about cats and stuff, even though I can't stand cats. Um, and uh, I remember that. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I don't care how much you you take care I of just, them; they always smelly. No, I, my believe cats me, even smell. my dog, my even cat, my dog is my cats do not smell. But um, if, if I get another animal, a bit of fish, um, <laughs> and the only time he'll smell is when he's dead. Oh no, shit! Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know it, it, the thing is that if you're going to be on Facebook, it, it, if you want to have that political affiliation thing and everything, put that in another Facebook page. Make your business page business. It's about you networking with people locally. If you want a gig or you want to get gigs, don't don't call out a club. I yeah. Um, don't call out fellow musicians. Don't, don't if you're going to do it, keep it anonymous. Say I was doing right. this with somebody, and make sure you don't post it like the next day, because right. then that person knows immediately like who you're talking about, or the club does. Exactly. Yeah. Now, recently, I saw this. Um, so I've got some friends in New York that, that gig regularly, and they they get some very high-profile gigs. And without throwing names out, without throwing this stuff out, um, uh, the, the guy that a good friend of mine um, posted about a club. And they called him out. They called him straight out. Not only called him out, they got on the news and called him out. Yeah. <laughs> because the, they played <laughs> – they played a very big festival. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to throw out names or stuff, but played a very big, and then they didn't get paid. Yeah. And they were like, ooh. And they got legal papers and everything. They got a contract and everything. They yeah, said, yeah. You've got to pay us. And they said, no, we're not going to pay you. We, we decided we didn't, we didn't like your stuff. Yeah, well, you had X thousand people here. You're going to kind of pay. So anyway, long story short, they didn't get paid. Um. You know, and that's another whole topic on its own is how do you protect yourself? Right, when right, you're a right, musician right. and you're gigging, protecting yourself, knowing how to do contracts, knowing how to do riders. Um, and here's the thing about a rider, those of you who have never had one, you pay for that stuff. Yep. If you want to go in and say, I want green M&Ms and, and you know, purple gumdrops, you're going to pay for somebody to go out and sort all the M&Ms sure. and the purple gumdrops. You're not getting that for free from the club. Unless you put that in the rider that the club is to do that. Most riders are so that you have water available to you. You're still going to um, pay for that. Um, and you have a nice, you know, comfortable place. Some riders, um, uh, we would have um, a place to take a shower, you know, private areas. So that when we go on a break, we could go into that area. We didn't have to be out there yelling at the crowd because everybody wants to come up. You go, hey, do you play blah, blah, blah over top of the speakers? And you're supposed to yell at them. And then they get mad because you don't want to spend 10 right, minutes right. yelling back and forth at them. That's actually the real whole reason that backstage exists. Yeah. is because, yeah. I mean, you could imagine what that situation would be like if the guys like had to get off the stage and walk around on the front and stuff. It'd just well, be the yeah. Whole- it's every single, uh, every single person in the place wants to tell you what songs you should be playing. Everybody knows what your set list should look like. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a hard it's a hard line. Um. So, geez, we're we're running we're running up towards the end of time. Yeah, we're at forty seven uh, minutes. So one of the things I wanted to go over is so uh, those of you who might 
wonder. Um, so when I go to audition for a band, I have to learn several songs. Like I had a dozen songs for each of the two bands that I was auditioning for. I had a dozen songs, so 24 songs. I had to learn them in eight days. And, um, plus the solo stuff I'm doing. So let's just say that I've learned about 45 songs mm-hmm. last eight days. And you wonder, how do you do that? So Not just like, how do you do it? How do you remember them? Like, right. <laughs> like a lot of people are just like, oh yeah, he's got, he's got cheat sheets or, you know, I got, I don't. No, if I they don't, don't have, when you go to an audition, if you pull out a piece of sheet music, in most cases, they're going to look at you and go, the hell do you think this is? Yeah, they offered. I think it was a trick question. They offered. They said, hey, we got some charts right here. I said, that's all right. Just give me the key. If you if you bring it down or bring it up, just give me the key. I'll do it in your key. And uh, that's I. it's impressive to the people that you're, you're auditioning for because you don't need those cheat sheets. Now, there are times when you should use them. If you're a pit musician. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like in most situations, like you and I would be auditioning for, you're not going to necessarily need cheat music. Like you're going to be expected to kind of know off the sheet, meaning yep. like not without using it. But if you're going to try right. out for a musical or something, that's perfectly Dude, acceptable definitely. for you to have the music. Yeah, it's, it, it's actually, yeah, it actually goes the opposite. It's like the old joke. How do you get the guitar player to stop playing tandem sheet music? How do you get the keyboard player to stop playing, take away their sheet music? It's, it's just like that. You know, you, so you should learn how to read, at least learn how to read, um, structures. Um, yeah. If, I mean, know, and my idea of sheet music in a lot of cases is literally just either the melody line or just the chords written, written in over the bars. So I know exactly yep. like when it should change. I, yeah, and that's, ex- you know, I mean, how many of us have used that? That's, lead, that's probably it's a lead sheet, you know, lead sheet, uh, a cheat sheet, you can call it whatever you want. Um, uh, what's the, the fake book? Yeah. I, I have three fake books or fake books Super that useful. I have. There's very useful. Um, so if you wonder how I, I sat down and learned jungle love by Steve Miller in an hour, it was just, I just sat down and learned it. So I think the, I think that the biggest thing is knowing how to play if you can find your roots and you know your intervals, you can play any song, you know, because once you can find the root of the song, the key, um, then you can go and you can play by running around with, you know, running around the intervals. You're, you're using your intervals to get to place and place. Now, sometimes you might miss a 13th. You might, oh, geez, that was an add nine. I, I boo-booed. I didn't add nine. But you should know your majors, minors, sevenths. Those are the three things you should have in your in your pocket yep. and your augmenteds and your susses. At least know how to play an A sus, a D sus, and an E sus. Those are the three you should have in your pocket. Actually, sus barcode is just so damn easy anyway. You should just know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and be willing to, you know, be ready if you've got a guitar. You know, I wouldn't recommend auditioning with a locking tram unless you're in a um, heavy, you know, a, a Hair metal band. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, you're gonna want to be able to drop D once in a while. Honestly, unless the unless you know the songs are gonna require a trem bar, I would rather just take a hardtail anyway. Yep, because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have it because it's just gonna cause you tuning problems. It's gonna make you sound like shit. So that's what I did tonight. Where is it? Right there. The SG. Yeah, I took the SG, and I'll tell you, and I was playing disco with it. Sound so good? 
It sounded great. It sounded fantastic. Of course, the the blue uh, uh, the blue guitar amp one that and the clean channel. It. Oh heck yeah! I was using the clean channel, the blue guitar amp one. Pretty much um, clean guitar, clean channel of the blue guitar um, bridge pickup. Um, rolled a little bit off the you know the high end on the um, tone knob um, and the uh, volume right around seven and a half, seven seven and a half. Yeah. That's pretty much where I sat most of the time. Well, um, try to think if there are any other audition tips that maybe you missed. Well, you know, be be prompt. Bring yeah. everything you need. Um, be professional, be, and that be, yeah, that will encompass all of those things. Uh, be professional. Make sure that you have your strings. Make sure you have you yep. know the proper instrument. You have all your amplification. You need even. I've gone so far as to bring backup stuff in the car and just not bring yep. it in, in case something right. happens. Um, it, it never hurts to ask questions beforehand. Like, right. how informal is this? Don't show up with beer in hand to no. a rehearsal or something like that. Uh, that you're going to be auditioning at. Um, <laughs> I, I, Jim, I'm just saying it because I've had it happen and I've uh-huh. seen people do stuff like that before. Or with weed. Yeah. Hey guys, oh, you guys want to smoke a dude before you play this song? Listen, that's not professional. <laughs> no, and here's the thing. Even if, okay, so even if you're going there and you know these guys drink or you know they smoke weed, it, unless they tell you to bring it, like BYOB or, you know. It's not First even, of all, if, if you're going to an audition and you're and going that, there to drink beer, it's not to get a, a paid gig. I was just going <laughs> to say the same thing, like. That's it, it, look. It's just like in, in a job interview, we dress for success. Right. If that's their 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 like image or whatever, yep. Very want rare. To be a part of it. Very rarely does that any, end up with any sort of success. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the other thing to understand is that you don't audition for, um, like I'm going to be a member of this band that is writing their own original tunes, trying to get trying to get a big record. Like you right. don't audition for that. You no. meet the guys, you hang out with them. Like you might yep. play a little bit and you might jam a couple times and they're like, Hey, you know what? We need a guitar player. Like, why don't you come join us? And yep. like, that's how that goes. When you yep. audition, when you, when it is a formal audition, they're like, Oh, we'd like you to come by and try out. That's yep. a whole other thing. You're an employee. As far right. as you're concerned, that's how you should be viewing that relationship. Yep. And so that's when you go in and you say, all right, I'm going to come in with my nice clothes on. And yep. I'm going to have the right guitar, the right case, you know, yep. the right, the, the whole, the whole thing and show them how professional I am and how I'm going to carry myself going to a gig. Absolutely. It's basically. It. And that, and that's the, um, that's the big thing because remember when you, you know, if you want to be in a successful band, the band that goes, yeah, we're going to play the songs we like, we don't care. We don't care what other people think. That doesn't get you hired. It just doesn't because the truth of the matter is, that it, it is still that that part is the business relationship between the band and the the club owners. Now there are the there are the club owners. It's like, hey, it's a slow day. We're not really paying you. You want to come in? You want to? That's a different thing. Those are different relationships. But if you're going to come in and you expect to get money, I hear it all the time. I'm like, yeah, these guys don't know good music. Um, well. If there's a bunch of people there and they're drinking, they're having a good time, whooping it up. Yeah, I remember. It doesn't matter if if you've heard Mustang Sally four freaking times that night. <laughs> Honestly. The truth is, um, 
in picking set list material and all that kind of thing, you have to be aware of the club's needs more than your own. Um, yep. And sometimes you can be fortunate enough where the music that you like is something that will be marketable in your area. But I would bet more often than not, you're going to have a couple songs in that set that you have to play. You don't like, <laughs> it's just going to have to yeah. be that way. Um, yep. So, I mean, I have, I, I sent Jim a set list the other night and it was all over the place. But what what I didn't what we didn't talk about in the conversation was that some of those songs are picked because that's kind of expected around here now. Yeah, uh, we have yeah. we have a very strange musical climate here in Chicago. It's it's quite odd. But go to the clubs you want to play in, listen, listen to the to music, and, and see the bands that are there. And then that's where it's just like any other job. You're going to dress for the job you want. You want to put yourself, you know, fake it till you make it. However you want to call it. You want to put yourself into a position where that is what you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we're hitting 56 minutes. It is a yep. late Monday night for the launch of this episode. So I think we should call it, Jim. I think, I think we, we should. should. All right. But here's, here's the thing I want to talk about before we go. Okay. You need, you need to tell me about ska music. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. And so I, I said, Jim, <laughs> I, no, it's not an inside joke. Listen, I got, I can state my opinion here. It's fine. Sure. Um, there are very few bands in the ska genre that I like. No doubt. Um, <laughs> no, that's not ska. <laughs> um, they may think they, they may think they are. Um, but here's Madness? my, here's my problem. And I'm not, no, we're not going to go into who the specific artists are. And really, it's usually not a whole artist. It might be like a specific song or a specific record, um, you know, because I don't generally like all of their output. Um, yeah. So my thing is, I like reggae. Um, I like authentic reggae. Um, so I used to get these like mix CDs that were like world music, and it would be like reggae, and it'd be all these different artists on them. Um, and that's that's what I mean by authentic reggae, not just the shit that you know we got right. imported to the United States and got played on the radio. Um, yeah. I like that Bob Marley didn't kick ass cause he did. But. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, and actually he is authentic reggae, but the thing is there's right. so many other artists around you know, surrounding a genre. Right. Um, so fine. All right. I like reggae. You'd think you throw punk music into the mix. Like I'm going to like that too. I have super specific tastes when it comes to punk music. I don't really like anything like, post Ramones really. Um I don't really? like much pre Ramones even. So you're um, not like a, um you're not like oh what's the name of the band that uh it was huge. Everybody Dookie was their big album. Green Day? No, hell no. Green Day. Hell no. So I had some of the records when I was a kid. The two records I liked the most were the ones that sounded like the Sex Pistols, which is <laughs> the earliest ones. Like they yep. were like a mix of the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. And then like I think it was when Dookie came out that that like they just got shitty. Like I had no interest in listening to them anymore. Um, so I wore both those records out. I never replaced them. Um, I actually had them on CD and I wore them out. So then I was young. I was like Kennedys? ten or ten or eleven years old at that point. What's up? What about the what about the Dead Kennedys? So that's a band that's like I'm kind of on the fence about. I like yeah. the Misfits, like the early Misfits, not the shit with with Jerry Only. Um, yeah. When Glenn Danzig left, like the Misfits died for me. I like yep. um, um, Henry Rollins' band. Uh, Black, yeah. I like Black Flag, obviously. Um, I like uh, Sex Pistols, like some of their stuff. Um, 
I don't like the clash. That shit does really? nothing for me. See, you would hate my collection of, of punk because it would begin with the clash. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but and you're not would, punk if you do a song called, you know, like Rock the Casbah or whatever. Like yep, that's not a punk song. I'm sorry. That's not a punk and, song. Um, what the fuck? Um, the Ramones. I like rock and roll high school. No, I, I like, like the Ramones. So I like a lot of the Ramones output, actually. But that's like the end of punk for me because then it became pop music at that point. So you well, go into like, you have like Rancid and MXPX right. and Green Day yep. and all these bands in the 90s and Offspring is well, another if one. If you think about it, oh, I love the Offspring. Offspring actually don't mind Give so much. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind the Offspring <laughs> as much. Um, yeah. But then when you get to the early 2000s and you've got like Blink-182. All right, yeah. so I had that record in high school and I actually liked it when I was in high school. But like going back and listening to it now, I'm like, this is so sugary sweet. There's nothing interesting to this. Yeah, but you know, there is a lot of interesting. If you, I mean, when you sit down to play it, there is some, I'm not saying it's difficult, but there is some interesting stuff that they're doing there that, you know, there's pedal tones in there. You wouldn't if I want it. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, no, I get it. Like you can certainly find beauty in anything. And like, I, I'm totally that guy that would say that, but listening to them and like, if I'm going to listen to that shit, I'd rather listen to cheap trick. Like, you know what I mean? It's, I love it's cheese, just, right? There's much better <laughs> alternatives to that music. So for me, um, I don't think Blink-182. The Blink Cheap last album was Dream, uh, Dream Police. Then it was kind of, eh. but So Blink-182, like, a- after that band, there was a slew of other ones that are kind of similar. Um, I see some of these get thrown around in these gear groups, and you can hate me all you want, but, like, Thrice, they, they sound like another, like, pop-punk band, band to me. Um there's a lot of bands like that. The way I've tried to get into it because like all these people are listening to it, I'm like, eh, there must be something redeeming here. Well, they and have listen to it. I'm like, this sounds like shit to me. Like, I don't. I, this that, doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, there was a whole big revival of of punk in the, and I say punk. You mean they call it emo? Punk. Yeah, remember I, well, emo? That's not e- that's not punk though. Chevelle whiny, and whiny um, little bitch music. That's what that is. Um, so that's another, that's another whole genre that I, you could just fucking forget about talking to me about because emo does nothing for me. Like what I, I, what I couldn't stand I'd rather stand on a bed of nails than listen to emo. (laughs) It was nothing interesting musically going on with that stuff. I mean, I, and I'm one of those people, I look for stuff that's interesting. Do you know what, do do you know what, what, what I've noticed, Jim, emo is really popular with the same people who say that lyrics are more important than, than the melody or, or uh, melodic content of a song. Definitely. And that's why I'm like, you've completely missed the point. If I wanted to fucking read poetry, like I'd go read poetry. That's right. You know what I mean? Like I just don't understand it. So, um, and then there's been some bands post that stuff that I don't really care for much either. I mean, uh, the one that comes to mind, and I know they're not really fitting in any of these genres, is like Black Veil Brides. And it seems like there's yeah. like a whole bunch of bands like surrounding that whole thing that were um, kind of descended from that screamo emo thing. It's like yep. it, it, when you talk about screamo, it's like make up your mind: are you hardcore? Are you like what the hell is this? I don't even know what to do with this anymore. So, it's, yeah. So we had this whole movement in, in modern music, you know, the postmodern thing where it's like, well, we'll just take two genres and we'll mash them up. And then that's how we'll make a new song. And it's like some point I'm just sitting there going, dude, you, some some genres don't need to be mixed. You know, if if you if you, as you say, like, let's let's say bands like Yellow Card or whatever, these emo bands. Right. Yeah. End, Yellow end, Card end up being. Um, oh, good. There's an original band. 
um, yeah. ends, end up end up being like, okay, so we're going to take our music and we're going to meld it with, um, we're going to meld it with hardcore music, and that's how we're going to get screamo, or right. you know, it's like if that's yeah, really the emo, if, screamo. if that's the child of like Henry Rollins band Black Flag, yep. <laughs> you know, with 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 pop punk, if that's what comes out of it, like forget it. They should have forked a long time ago and just stay the hell away from each other. It's like the divorce. Nobody wants them to get them back together with, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the Ataris was another one of those. Yeah. That I was like, what's going on here? Alkaline Trio is another one, I think, from that. And now, now I'm going to be sounding really bad because I know I'm messing up genres and like I know there's all these subgenres and this stuff, too. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I'm, it's just I'm like when I talk about metal. Sure. But I mean, like, I, you have to understand. I grew up in this. Like this was what was going on when I was in high school, and you had you totally yeah, you had these had... new metal kids versus the punk kids, and you know, yeah. and, and even um, the I, I would say like the progressive new metal kids who were the emo, the, emo basically the Tool God. fans. You know, it's yeah. the Tool fans versus the uh, Blink One Eighty Two kids, and uh, over in the other corner you had you know the the uh, Chevelle Yellow Card fans. You know, yeah. it was just it was a whole weird thing. Um, well, you had. I mean, you had um, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. You had Perfect Circle. You yeah, had when I was um, when I was younger. So I actually came up and w- and the music that formed a lot of my um, a lot of my tastes were things like Smashing Pumpkins because I was so to put it in perspective. Um, I would have started high school in ninety nine. So ah. running up to ninety nine was basically all the bands that formed my, you know, my musical taste. So like Soundgarden and all those bands were happening right before high school for me. I retired in in, January of 1999. I know. So yes, that if if you're following along, that makes me class of 2003 folks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That makes you feel bad. Doesn't it, Jim? Um, Good Lord. And then remember I'm 33 now. So I know I could easily have had a child your age easily. Yes. Um, That's insane. But well, you know, I mean, my, my oldest is 24, by the way. So you're a Navy guy. Maybe you did. And I was in my thirties when she was born. (laughs) Um, So my, um, and my boys came when I was almost, I was, you know, pushing uh, mid 40 or mid thirties. So anyway, so when, um, when we talk about this kind of stuff, the the thing that we're getting at as practical guitarists, obviously, is is um, uh, so chime in, folks. Tell us what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, uh, I know not really everybody hear, agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, we really want to hear your input. Is this is this something where you're like, oh, you guys are morons, you're wrong, or is it something where you ha- say, hey, you know what, I kind of agree with you, or whatever, or this is your your other thing, uh, because. The truth is that there are so many people out there who don't have, um, uh, they only listen to one type of music. Yep. So for our next, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about um, soon is uh, we're going to talk about Shred. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about Shred. um, And we're going to be, and we'll talk about some genres. um, And Shred, what does it mean to Shred? Because you hear Shred. You read, my, you read you read my article I sent you. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, what are the what are some of the things that you there guys? There will be a companion to... article published with the next episode. Yeah. So. So if you guys are um, interested, one of the things that uh, I want to ask everybody though is red hot chili peppers. I'm just going to leave it at that. Red hot chili peppers. What do you think? Can we can we clarify like what what era? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. There are three all right, eras, all right, all right. right? There's the Frusciani era, and then there's the post-Frusciani era, and now there's the, then there was the, um, what's his name? Actually, four eras. Yeah, four <laughs> now. Yeah, you're right. Because there are two post-Frusciani. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I don't think really the, the guitar player really defines that band, but that's the whole I, thing for the group. I, Let's I, talk see, about that's the group. The, that's something to ask the group. Because I've been seeing lately where group, a lot of guitar players saying like, Oh yeah, my guitar playing came from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm like, really? I just like the fact that Frusciani used Marshall Major heads. So, yep. Did that? Nothing says nothing says I love you like 200 watts of tube power. <laughs> All right, yeah. uh, we've been the Practical Guitarists, and I've been David. I've been Jim, and I did it backwards. So good night. Good night. <laughs>